you've got mail. Hey folks, and welcome to the very first mailbag episode for Superman and Batman, a podcast which, normally, each and every episode, focuses on the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, the two greatest heroes in comics. And I say normally because this time we are flipping the script and focusing on you, the listeners, the people that make this show more than one nerd with too many comic books talking into a microphone. Throughout its history, the letters page in World's Finest Comics went through a couple different names, one of which was from the World's Finest Fans. And since starting this podcast, I've realized how appropriate that title might have been, because given the quality of feedback I've received, I can say that this podcast has the World's Finest Fans. I've received quite a bit of feedback during the past four months, and I'm going to do my best to try and get through it all here. Um, As I said in a previous episode, the reason I've opted to do feedback episodes rather than reading them in regular episodes is that it allows me to get farther ahead on regular episodes, which is something that is really critical if I want this show to stay weekly. Um, I've tried to reply to most feedback I've gotten, at, at least the email stuff, but if anyone has felt slighted that your feedback has been held or or not read on the air until now, please don't feel that way. Uh, Your comments are appreciated, and in holding them to one big episode serves to only make the show better. So, I've got email feedback, website comments, and some iTunes reviews. The iTunes reviews I'm going to do at the end, but the email and website comments I'm going to read more or less in the order they came in, because many comments are related to the stories we've looked at, and that way comments about the same episodes are, are together. Now, so first up is an email from the esteemed Professor Allen, host of the Quarterbin Podcast and the Shortbox Showcase. Michael, I was a fan of your previous podcasting forays, and I'm already a fan of this show as well. You picked a great story to start with, especially since I've read it scores of times. I've had both from the 30s to the 70s hardcovers, way back when I was just a kid, and remembered almost every beat of the story as you retold it. I like the random nature of the show and look forward to not always knowing what's going to happen in the next episode. Welcome back to podcasting. Keep up the good work, Professor Allen. And thank you, Allen. Uh, and I just want to say, just for a peek behind the curtain, new episodes of the show go live at noon on Tuesdays. The first episode went up at noon, January 7th. And this email from Allen came in at 2.14 p.m., which tells me Alan just happened to download the show as soon as I posted it, or he was really eager to hear it. It was probably the former, but either way, thanks Alan for cracking into it first thing, and thanks for the welcome back. I really hope you are still enjoying the show past the first episode. Uh, Next up is a website comment about, again, the first episode, from Earth2Chris, a.k.a. Chris Franklin. Hi, Michael. Great episode and great idea for a podcast. I'm looking forward to journeying through the hundreds of issues of World's Finest along with you. So much good stuff and some wacky stuff. Super Suns, anyone? That first story is a definite classic, and one I have read many times over the years. 
beginning with a copy of World's Finest Comics number 179, purchased at a flea market when I was four or five years old, about ten years after its publication. That comic cemented my love for Superman-Batman team-ups, and I have shared these stories with my children as well. In that vein, I'd love to hear your take on World's Finest Comics number 271, where Roy Thomas courageously tackles all the origins of the Superman-Batman team and makes them all fit together, as best he could anyway, while also telling an entertaining yarn and bringing in my beloved Earth-2 heroes. Speaking of which, someone at DC forgot Superman and Batman had met in a few issues of All-Star Comics beforehand. Of course, we now know we were on Earth-1 in this tale, but that's retroactive hindsight. Again, good luck on the podcast, and I look forward to much more. Chris Franklin, semi-regular co-host of the Power Records podcast, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. And although he didn't mention it in his comment, Chris Franklin also hosts a podcast called Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. And the reason he didn't mention it in his comment is because he actually started that after he left this comment. But anyway, thank you, Chris, for the feedback. And I do definitely plan on covering World's Finest Comics number 271 at some point down the road. Um, I'm intentionally holding off on that one for a little bit because I thought it would be better to, like you said, Roy Thomas does try to tie together all the various quote-unquote first meetings uh, to that point of Superman and Batman. And I thought it would be better to cover most, if not all, of those in the show before trying to tackle issue 271 so that the the listeners have a bit of a background and, and I myself am refreshed on uh, those origins as they first appeared. But I definitely do want to cover that at some point, so keep your ears peeled. Um, next up, I got an email from James Hickson with the subject, Finally. Michael, I can't tell you how pleased I was when I heard that someone was doing a podcast about World's Finest. Anyone who follows me on Twitter will know that I have recently been reading old World's Finest issues with my daughter, whose favorite character is Superman, though I'm fairly partial to Robin, and twittering my observations, hashtag World's Finest. There I have made the observation that these stories are ripe for podcasting, and to my shock, there was no such show out there already. If I thought I had the time and there was demand for an index show hosted by a 29-year-old man and his 3-year-old daughter, I might have done it myself. Well, James, you, you can still do it. Your, your biggest obstacle there might be uh, keeping your, your daughter's attention span for a podcast, but it never hurts to start them young. Um, back to James' email. Anyway, all of this is a way of saying I am thrilled to see your show out there and really enjoyed the first issue, though I had not read the issue in question. An observation I would make is that this would not be the first time that Dick is mentioned as having surviving family beyond his parents. There is a story I read as a backup in Batman Family where Robin's uncle Robert and Aunt Harriet, a red-haired vamp, show up after being trapped while touring through Europe during the war and only now, 1945, are able to return and take guardianship of their nephew. The couple are revealed to be con artists intending to extort a bribe from Bruce Wayne to be allowed to regain guardianship of his ward, but are never revealed to be imposters. By the end of the story, the couple are exiled by a family court judge and told not to contact Dick again. But this is ignored years later, apparently when Aunt Harriet returns during the New Look era, now apparently deeply aged after being widowed by Uncle Robert and even ending up as a character on the Batman 1966 TV show. 
Anyway, some suggestions for future shows. A co-host. You're great to listen to, but you're doing a show about one of the greatest team-ups in comics. It's only right that you team up with someone occasionally to talk about it. Also, is there a way you can let us know which issue you'll be covering next episode at the end of each episode? That way, those of us following along at home can read the issue ahead of time to follow along. Again, these are just suggestions, and you're welcome to destroy them with bad acid or throw them into the sun. I look forward to more super baddie episodes. James Hickson. And James, thank you very much for the feedback. While there's no plans on bringing on a uh, permanent co-host, as you heard, I had Emily and Sean Engel on for a couple episodes, and I have at least three episodes coming down the pike where I will have a co-host. So I hope you'll enjoy those as well. And I replied to James directly on his next suggestion. Um, I, I don't plan on mentioning at the end of each episode what I'll be covering in the next episode because I can foresee a point in the future where I simply don't know. Plus, I like to keep the show a little more spontaneous. But if you follow the show on Facebook or Twitter... On Sunday, usually, the show comes out on Tuesday, so on Sunday, usually, I will make a post showing the cover or some other image related to whatever I'm going to be covering in that upcoming episode, so you can get a bit of a sneak preview that way if you want to. Uh, But thanks again, James, for the email, and glad you enjoyed the show. Next up is another comment from Professor Allen that he sent uh, through Facebook after episode two, and Allen wrote, leaving leaving. Loving the new podcast, Michael. Two great tastes that taste great together, and a title where randomness should usually work. I left iTunes feedback yesterday, FYI, and appreciate the shout-out as well. And I got your iTunes feedback, Alan, and I'll be reading that, like I said, at the end of the episode. Uh, Alan also let me know that for a brief time, the show was listed under the New and Notable section of the literature podcasts in the iTunes store. I don't know if those are... uh, automatically selected or randomly picked or if there's an actual oxygen-breathing human that chooses them, but however it happens, I was it, it was kind of cool, and I hope it brought in a few new listeners. So thank you very much, Alan, for letting me know about that. Uh, no one commented directly on episode three, so we'll move on to episode four with, a, with another comment from Chris Franklin. Uh, Michael, I enjoyed the episode, but this era of World's Finest wasn't my favorite. Uh, just to remind the listeners, uh, World's, or episode four was the the uh, the Pantheon story. I think it was like World's Finest 294 or something. I'm looking it up right now, so I'm going to vamp for time. It was the it was the episode. It was like the worst episode I've done on the show to date. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. I'm still vamping for time. If you can't see, I'm very bad about vamping for time. World's Finest Comics, number 299, The Shadow of the Executioner. Uh, that that was the cover, or the uh, issue with the cover, that looked like an 80s power metal album because it had like a shirtless Batman with a giant axe and hooded executioners and Superman on the chopping block. But <sighs> cool cover, but, you know, the story just wasn't very good. But anyway, back to Chris's comment. Uh... I really enjoyed the episode. Wasn't my favorite. Okay, I haven't really read. I haven't really reread them, other than World's Finest Comics number three hundred, which is pretty good. But the whole Pantheon bit didn't appeal much to an eight-year-old me. In fact, the title as a whole was pretty lackluster from around this time until cancellation, in my honest opinion. But I do enjoy hearing your synopsis. 
MPC actually released Superman and Batman model kits the following year, tying into the Superpowers line promotion. They were reissues of the 60s Aurora kits with some modifications. I think Monogram and MPC actually merged at some point. And this is a reference to, I was going through the ads in the, in the uh, issue, and there were ads for some model kits, and I, I had been mocking some of them, because there was like really cheap-looking Star Wars kits, and then model kits for uh, something else that I can't recall at this point. And I really should review the issues before I do these feedback episodes. I'll make a note about that for next time. Uh, but anyway, uh, Chris goes on, I think the Sergeant Rock line... Again, another reference to a comment I made in the episode. I think the Sergeant Rock line was three and three quarter inch size, so you could mix them with G.I. Joe, Real American Hero. The Warlord, to- Warloid, War, the Warlord toys were about to mix in with the Masters of the Universe figures. Rimco was known for its Me Too pseudo bootleg toy lines. Power Lords, man, this ad ran for what seemed like years. I never had any of the toys, and recall only seeing them a time or two in stores. The property is actually making a comeback via new action figures sculpted by the Four Horsemen, who also worked on the Mattel DC Universe Classics and Masters of the Universe Classics lines. And you really need to read Who Is Donna Troy. The initial storyline is done in one is is a is a done in one in New Teen Titans number 38. All the later stuff is trying to explain away retcons, etc. They are all good efforts, but honestly, it's a mess. But this is a Wolfman and Perez at their very best, before their own later work complicated this one. Looking forward to more next week, Chris. And Chris, I want to thank you for your recommendation on the uh, the Who Is Donna Troy story. All my collecting life, I had thought that that was a uh, multi-issue story arc, and I think I even uh, said so in the, the episode there. But on your recommendation, I went and picked up New Teen Titans number 38, and I haven't got around to reading it yet, unfortunately. But when I do, I am going to – I'll either email you directly and let you know what I think or mention it on the show or maybe even do a a special episode, like a mini-episode or something just about that. Uh, But I really do thank you for your recommendation, and and I look forward to reading that at some point. Uh, Chris also weighed in on a question that I put to listeners about the artist responsible – responsible for the artwork in an ad for the uh, Superman peanut butter that was in the issue discussed in that episode. And he wrote, My guess on the ad is Kurt Swan on pencils and Dick Giordano on inks. The pose, the shape of the cape, and the shape of the S-shield read Swan to me. The face looks a bit like Swan, but the scratchy looks of the inks looks like Giordano. Some of the cross-hatching looks like his inks over Burns' work on early Superman. And I agree, it does look like possibly Dick Giordano inking on the piece. Um, the rest of it doesn't look like Swan to me, but, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, I didn't really hear from anyone else on the uh, possibility, of the, or on art artistic possibilities for the ad. Uh, once again, if you go back to the show notes at greatcrypton.com, I posted a scan of the ad. So if anyone has any ideas, be sure to leave feedback and I will uh, read that on the next feedback episode. Uh, Professor Allen sent in an email about episode four as well. Michael, number one, reviewing part four of a five-part story. I feel your pain, brother. Randomness sounds good in theory, doesn't it? But you'll adapt, I'm sure, and figure out your own quote-unquote rules. Number two, I appreciate the fact that you admitted in the What Else Was Going On, the Spinner Rack segment, 
that there, that there are key important comic arcs that you are unfamiliar with. In this case, it was the Who is Donna Troy storyline. I understand that feeling as there are times when I realize how big my blind spots are in comics, despite having been a fan of them for just about my whole life. Thanks for expressing that. I am thoroughly enjoying the show. Keep up the good work, Professor Allen. And it's weird. I, I consider myself someone who has, you know, a, a, a fairly deep knowledge of comics. I mean, I'm no expert. There are many, many, many people out there that have far more knowledge than I do, especially of non-DC stuff. But even with DC stuff, there there are a lot of classic storylines that I've just never gotten around to reading. Uh, the aforementioned Who is Donna Troy storyline, The Trial of the Flash, um, even more modern classics, if you can call this a modern classic, but like the Nightfall Saga. I have never read that from beginning to end, and I realize now that I say that, that's going to bring the ire of a lot of listeners out there. But there's just so much, uh, so many classic storylines from throughout comics history, not just, you know, both within DC and without, and you only got so much time in the day to read comic books. So, uh, But one of these days, I will get around to reading all of these things, or, you know, better yet, maybe someone will uh, pay me to read comic books all day long, and I can just quit my job and do that. Uh, but uh, next up is an email from, or a comment, sorry, from Chris Franklin. Uh, he left a comment about episode 5, which faithful listeners might recall was the show's first trip into the mad, mad mind of Bob Haney. And Chris writes, Ah, another bat-crap crazy story by Haney. The Grant Morrison of the Silver and Bronze Age. But man, could he pack a trade paperback worth a plot into a 22-page story. Chris. And yes. Yes, he could. Uh, Chris also left a comment on episode 6. And Chris has really been really been great about leaving comments on uh, pretty much every episode. And I, I really do appreciate that. So, thanks, Chris. Uh, but he wrote, This is one of my favorite stories from the early years of World's Finest, and it was a favorite of my son when I used to read him comics before bedtime. I appreciate you gushing about, Swan, gushing about Swan's art. I'm a big Swan fan, and I feel he gets beaten up by a lot of folks who consider his work boring or stiff. Sure, he was not as splashy as others, but his work was always fluid and majestic. Really enjoying the series, and look forward to hearing more. Chris. And Chris, I definitely agree with you. Um, as the years went on and, and Kurt Swan got older, his work did get uh, more stiff. And he did have more and more trouble drawing dynamic action scenes, especially compared to a lot of the Bronze Age artists like you know Neil Adams or Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. But you know those early years especially and throughout the Silver Age... Like you said, you know, fluid and majestic. Those are great, great words to describe Kurt Swan. And and even even the worst Kurt Swan art I've seen is better than, you know, countless other artists throughout the comics field. So, you know, you, you won't catch me saying much bad about Kurt Swan, uh, except when it's due. And, and I can be objective about it, but at the same time, you know, I'm going to gush. So... Um, I got an email from Russell Bragg. Hi, Michael. I have thoroughly enjoyed this podcast so far. Superman and Batman teaming up was always one of my favorite things to read about, whether it be in World's Finest Comics, Justice League of America, or any other random book. 
I loved World's Finest best when it was the $1 comic. It was just something about having all those stories in one book. And the covers were almost always outstanding. I'm glad you're back to podcasting. You were sorely missed. And thank you, Russell. With this podcast, does this sort of put an end to the thrilling adventures of Superman? I hope not, but I don't want you overworking yourself again. I enjoyed your coverage of the old Superman books and strips, but most of all, the old-time radio adventures of Superman. It's a great show. Just wanted to drop you a line letting you know that I'm glad to hear you again, and I can't wait until the next episode. Take care. And thank you very much, Russell. And no, this show doesn't mean the end of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman. Um, That show... It, it wasn't really coming back even without this. And when I say that, I don't mean that I've ended the show or don't hope to go back to it sometime, but right now, my life and schedule just don't fit with that show. Um, episodes of that show take a lot of time, more than episodes of any other podcast that I've ever been a part of. Um, and I never really figured out why that is, but it, it's just the fact of life. Um, I thought about changing the structure so I could still put out episodes, but I really like the show as is, and I'd rather just let it, you know, simmer on the back burner for now until I can give it the time and attention it deserves, because I really did enjoy the show. I liked what I was doing. I liked how I was doing it. Um, I really missed doing it. The books and the strip and the radio show were all hitting their strides, or, or nearly hitting them, and like you and like I said many times on that show, I really, really, really like the Superman radio show. Um, and I was getting a lot out of the chronological look, um, not just at the character of Superman, but also Jerry Siegel's approach to the character, because I am a big fan of Siegel even beyond Superman. Uh, plus, it was just a fun show to do. Um, I still get feedback from people. You know, just the other day, I got an email from someone who said, that he had just discovered it and was listening through the back catalog, but right now, new episodes just aren't in the cards. Uh, And I'm sorry to have to say that, but thankfully there is this show, which was planned and plotted from the beginning to be structured in such a way that I wouldn't run into the same types of problems that I did with producing that show. Um, That doesn't mean there won't ever be a skip week here. You know, I, I can't promise that, but... At least I am back to podcasting again, which, you know, I I really missed podcasting on a regular basis, and I'm glad to hear that there are folks out there uh, that missed hearing me. So thanks again, Russell. I really do appreciate your comments. Um, I got a comment on the site from Sphinx Magoo, and I mentioned this on a previous episode, but here is the comment in full. Since you asked about casting Batman in The Adventures of Superman TV show, I know he was a movie star at this time, but Gregory Peck would have been a great Batman. And as Adam Hughes might agree with me, Audrey Hepburn would have been a great Catwoman. I know, it sounds like I was just watching Roman Holiday, but that was out about this time of the Superman show, wasn't it? And yes, yes it was. And I can completely agree with Gregory Peck as Batman, um, especially as he was portrayed in the Golden Age. And I think it would have fit well I think he would have fit well into Adventures of Superman as well. Um, I'm not sure they could have wrangled him for a TV show at that point because doing TV shows was often considered, you know, quote-unquote slumming it, especially to a major Hollywood hotshot like Gregory Peck, and they really hadn't um, 
stunt casting hadn't become a thing yet. But still, I can definitely see him as the character, so that's a very good pick. Uh, back to Sphinx's comment. As an aside, the evil and malignant Mark Miller started an internet scam years ago where he convinced me that Orson Welles was in the process of making an adaptation of Batman. Miller claimed to have seen documents where Welles outlined his plans until the studio decided not to fund the project. Welles had, quote-unquote, proposed having Basil Rathbone as the Joker, and the studio wanted Gregory Peck as Batman. I just thought I'd mention it. I think a quick Google will find references to the insidious and heartbreakingly evil scam. Curse you, Mark Miller. Anyway, I really enjoy your podcast. World's Finest was one of the first series I enjoyed as a boy, so I have a soft spot for this comic series. Thank you for having fun while keeping it classy. Some podcasts tend to degenerate into crude jokes and negativity, but I appreciate how you keep the discussion upbeat and positive. I look forward to your coverage of the Super Sons, but I'd like to ask for an episode or two involving Silver Age stories that include Robin, Jimmy Olsen, and or Supergirl. The idea, of getting, or the idea of their respective families getting involved in their adventures just hints at some of the expansiveness that was just under the surface of the idea that Batman and Superman had regular adventures together. Again, thank you for the podcast. You've got a fan. And thank you very much, Sphinx. I did Google the, uh, the Mark Miller uh, April Fool's joke or whatever it was, and uh, folks out there in listener land can do the same. There's some uh, sketches that someone cooked up, you know, and, and some photos. It's kind of interesting but like you said it is it is rather heartbreakingly evil um and i have considered doing occasional episodes looking at uh family team-ups such as a superman batgirl or batman supergirl uh maybe even a a supergirl batgirl story i don't know quite yet how to work those in and there aren't too many of those that are true straight up silver age stories but it's not something i'm opposed to doing so if that's something y'all would like to see or or hear on the show then by all means write in and and let me know Uh, earth 2 chris also weighed in on episode 8 and this is actually two comments that i'm going to kind of combine into one Uh, but he, he wrote hey michael thanks so much for plugging our show i was surprised to hear our trailer here much appreciated batman on the adventures of superman hmm I agree with Sphinx that Peck would have been awesome as Batman. And yes, I remember Miller's scam from a few years ago. David Mazzuchelli actually cast Peck as Bruce Wayne in Batman Year One, so that may be why it feels so right. Actually, Batman did kind of appear on the Reeves Superman series. In one episode, the title escapes me, a man who is weakened by kryptonite is targeted by criminals who believe he is Superman. The man is played by Robert Lowry the second actor to play Batman in the 1949 Batman and Robin serial. The mistaken identity for Superman is ironic, given all the costume swapping the world's finest team did during this period. I agree on Schaffenberger's Batman. I've long been a fan of his clean style, but but I never warmed to his Batman. His cowl always seemed lumpy, or something like that. You can't argue with his Superman. I think both Haney and Schaff bring Julie Madison back around this same period. I recall a world's finest story where Bruce Wayne became prince of a country, but that memory is hazy. Anyway, another great episode, and I look forward to hearing more each week. P.S. I'm all for mixing up the team-ups by throwing in family members. Girls' Night Out from Superman the Animated Series and The New Batman Adventures would be a nice one to talk about, for example. 
And thank you very much, Chris. The episode of Adventures of Superman that you're thinking of is um, it's a season four episode called The Deadly Rock. Um, as for the rest of your comments, you know, yeah, I, I don't really... You know, it's weird. Kurt Schaffenberger, I've never... And, and again, this is something that's probably going to get me a lot of ire. I've, I've never been 100% on board with his Superman either. Um, but I think that has more to do with the fact that when I see his artwork, I relate it to the Lois Lane stories that he did. Um, which, okay, for all intents and purposes, those are Superman stories. But I, I just equate him with being a Lois Lane artist rather than a Superman artist, if that makes any sense at all. Uh, so right now I'm going to take a little break, uh, plug in something. I'm not sure what I'm going to plug in. Maybe a promo, maybe something else. I don't know. You'll be surprised like I am. Uh, but then I'll be back to read more feedback. Entertainment, And this is actually the song we sang where they said, that's ridiculous, we're going to put it on the show. <laughs> it's the full Superman theme, all four and a half minutes of it. Superman calling Superman. Superman, Superman. Where is Superman? Superman, Superman. Calling Superman. Superman, Superman. Where is Superman? Superman, Superman. Calling Superman. Superman, Superman. Where is Superman? Superman, Superman. Calling Superman. Superman, the son of Jor-El. Superman, the power of mortals. Using his sheer force, rivers will change course. Quick as the flash of a flash on the face of a damn damn right. Hear from another world to visit our own. Here is a Superman, the man of tomorrow, able to seal seams up in a steel beam. Professional aluminum can in the palm of his hand. Listen, who disguised himself as Mr. Kent? Clarkson, the reporter, let his matter resmile. Writing for a famous metropolitan press. On the superiorness of a fellow called Superman. Yes, and who would guess a Clark and Superman? They are all so different. Yet I want him to say, for he Glasses and the shirt on his chest is a mate so thrust of a fellow called Superman. On a blue super suit of a fellow called Superman. Glowing red super cape, yellow belt, and two shiny red boots. So when the call is out, Mark will look about, take his glasses off, and he'll step in the telephone booth. Fighting for justice, fighting for truth. You won't believe it. Look up the sky. 
comments about episode 9, which is the episode where I briefly talked about and played the two existing episodes of the first radio team-up between Superman and Batman. Uh, the first comment came from Sphinx Magoo, and he wrote, Greetings! I listened to this episode with a strong feeling of surreality. I felt like I'd just heard these Superman radio show episodes before. I thought I was going crazy until I remembered that I heard them on the Hypnogoria podcast specifically Part 9 of the Natural History of the Batman series. Once I relaxed after I realized I wasn't going crazy, I settled back and enjoyed these radio shows again. Thank you for sharing them. There's so much about these radio shows to enjoy. One thing that I noticed was how many of the audio cues from the radio show made their way into the 50s TV show. I also enjoyed how, in a funny way, the radio show could offer more than, than the TV show because their budget was unlimited as to what they could have the listener imagine going on in a scene. So as long as they had some decent sound effects, they could really pack a lot into a show. They could have introduced the entire legion of superheroes and gotten away with it. Anyway, thanks again for a fun episode. 
more radio show team-ups would be quite welcome. Take care. And thank you very much, much, Sphinx, for the comments. I definitely want to do more radio show episodes down the road. Like you said, they they did have a, a big influence on later incarnations of Superman, even though most people don't realize it because the radio show just doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, but still, I do, as I said just earlier this episode, I do really, really, really like the radio series, the Superman radio series, and I hope to do more in the future. It's just, again, it's just a matter of when. Uh, also, I want to thank you for the reminder of the Hypnobobs podcast. Uh, Michael Bailey was posting a lot about this a while back on Facebook, and I meant to check it out and never did, and then kind of forgot about it. But with your uh, email here, or with your comments here, it reminded me of it, and now I have checked it out, and, and I've listened to the first three or four installments of the Natural History of the Batman series, and I've really been enjoying it. So uh, it's, it's something I, I would definitely recommend to anyone out there that, that, is, that enjoys Batman and, and wants to learn more about his history. Uh, but Russell Bragg also left a comment on that episode, and he wrote, Hi Michael, I am thoroughly enjoying your podcast. I was wondering if you were going to talk about the radio show any, and I'm glad you did in episode number nine. The Superman radio show was my first experience with old-time radio of any sort, with Dr. Roebling and his voice machine. Now it's sort of a second hobby, but I digress. It was great to hear the mystery of the Waxmen episodes again. I sure wish we could hear the whole story arc someday, but it looks like we never will. The closest we might come is World's Finest number 271, where we see a few story panels about it. That's what's sad about old-time radio sometimes. There are probably millions of shows that we may never hear. I would love to hear the full story arc where Superman encountered Kryptonite for the first time, or more World War II storylines. Most of all, this story arc. You learn never to say never with old-time radio. They could possibly show up someday, but I'm not holding my breath. Anyway, great show as always. Thanks for this fun episode and keep for keeping me entertained at work. And you're right, Russell. I, too, would love to hear um, more episodes of the Superman radio serial. Um, I have heard, at least I believe I have heard, all of the existing episodes, but you can't get uh, enough of the Superman radio show. And and really, though, even though there are a lot of episodes of the serial missing, we are actually pretty lucky with the Superman radio show because uh, compared to other old-time radio series, uh, proportionally, it has more episodes available than, than most other shows. Uh, the World War II years is really the only stretch where it's it's spotty, but but still, there are a lot of you know fun and and interesting story arcs that are missing or incomplete that that would just be great to hear. Uh, but sadly, we probably never will. But as you say, never say never. Uh, Sean Engel also sent a few comments about the episode and and the show in general. And this is actually part of a longer email from Sean, but most of it was stemming from a, a non-show conversation we had, so I'm just going to read these show-relevant bits. He says, Let me commend you on the past couple episodes of Superman and Batman. First off, I really loved the Superman radio show that you did for Episode 9, and it really is a shame so much of this stuff is lost to time. Lost to time. I assume if you want it to be snarky, Superman undressing an unconscious boy could be considered a bit awkward. But it was a good way to bring the characters together, 
and both Collier and the kid who portrayed Robin did a great job. I love listening to these old serials. And the re-imaginary story you read for episode 10, and congratulations on reaching that milestone, sounded like typical Joe Kelly zaniness. Yes, once you know the punchline of Mixie being the one telling the story, it does lose a bit of its punch, but overall it sounded like a barrel of fun. And nowadays, that's what I'd rather have in my comics. And I completely agree with you, Sean. Um, I, I am looking, right now, I am looking for fun in my comics and my comics reading and, and other comics related entertainment as well. Uh, and I think I'll just leave it at that for, for fear of possibly upsetting someone who uh, is listening to the show. Sean and I have talked about this off air, uh, but, you know. So I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But thanks again, Sean, for the email. Uh, Chris Franklin left a note about episode 11, which was the super newspaper of Gotham City. He wrote, this is a fun one. I read this for the very first time a few years ago in the Showcase Presents volume, and I'm a real fan of these early World's Finest stories. Man, I loves me some Dick Sprang artwork. He's my favorite Batman artist, pre-Neil Adams, bar none. I dare say he was the best of the golden slash early Silver Age Batman artists. I agree he was no slouch at Superman either. I get to wax on about Sprang some in our upcoming Supermates Episode 3, and I could go on for days about him here, but I'll spare you for now. Once again, fantastic episode. I look forward to Wednesday when I hear a new one. Keep it up, Chris. And another, another note from Chris about Episode 12, where he wrote, Hi, Michael. Wow, this sounds like a fun one great coverage on it. Now I really need to get more Showcase Presents World's Finest to catch up to this. And just to quickly interject, episode 12 was the uh, storyline with Bizarro and Bizarro Batman. Uh, But to get back to Chris's comments, funny how that letter writer was moaning about Batman getting the shaft right when the TV show was debuting. Pretty soon, Batman would dominate every comic he was in. Heck, Teen Titans basically basically became Robin and the Teen Titans. The Joker used the Royal Flesh Gang as his goons in an episode of Superpowers Team Galactic Guardians, which was the Joker's first appearance in the Super Friends slash Superpower series. Of course, they were they were also used. Hmm, of course, they were also used together on the Justice League animated series two-parter Wild Cards. Thanks for making Hump Day more fun, Chris. And thank you, Chris, for the email. Gotta let you know, episodes come out on Tuesday, not Wednesday, so you can get your entertainment a full day earlier if you want to. Just subscribe on iTunes, and it'll download right to your right to your computer. But again, thank you very much for the email. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Uh, shifting gears for a minute, just to explain a few things for those of you who, who only listen to podcasts and, and, and have never produced them. Sometimes when you podcast, really strange things work their way into episodes. Uh, you might have background sounds, you hear you know, so much that they just become white noise, um, unexpected interruptions from family or housemates or pets, uh, weird physical things such as you know coughing or um, bodily noise. A lot of these things can be taken out in the editing process, but sometimes they become such a big part of the show that you just can't. And something like that happened to me a few episodes ago, and it left me feeling a bit odd, but I decided to go ahead and release the episode anyway as episode 12, 
B. And it's weird because whatever afflicted me in that episode must have been the or uh, must have been a wider spread epidemic than I originally thought because a couple of the comments I got the authors seem to have been suffering from the same. So first was one from Hetre to Chris who said, "You am not brilliant." Hetre to Chris. And then I got one from Bizarro Charlie Niemeyer who said, in subtraction, your Bizarro episode was terrible. Me hate the Bizarro speak, which made work much easier due to no confusion. Me not have similar idea, but figured out how not to do it. So me used is on all episodes of Bizarro out of the Bronze Age. Down, down, and near. No thanks, Bizarro Charlie. Well, guys, I don't really know what to say. Um, I was going to let Bizarro Michael respond. Unfortunately... He couldn't make it, but he left a handwritten note that I could read. And it's weird because he wrote this with an eraser, so it's a little hard to read. But <clears throat> Bizarro Michael say, no thanks for Feedfront about episode of Bizarro and Bizarro Batman. It make me so happy that people hate episode that me want to cry. In fiction, because of response, me am never do it again tomorrow. Hello? Okay, so there's that. Uh, moving swiftly on, I got another comment about the episode, and this one is from Sean Engel. Again, part of a lo- larger conversation, but Sean said, I would like to commend you on the, on the 12B episode of Superman and Batman. I'm certain all it took was swapping words in your notes, but the entire time I was listening, I was cracking up. And the inclusion of Code Monkey, another excellent Jonathan Colton song, at the end capped it all off. Bravo, sir. Bravo. And you'd think so, right? I mean, you'd think it'd be just a simple matter of swapping words. But it's actually a lot harder than that uh, because bizarro logic doesn't really work like that. You've got to kind of put some thought into it, which is weird for bizarro, but anyway. Um, But anyway, it was still a very fun episode to do, and I'm glad that people uh, seem to enjoy it. Well, all except Professor Allen, who just kept saying the episode made his head hurt. But now that I think about it, if he was afflicted by the same, maybe that means he liked it. But if he liked it, then he would say he didn't like it. And hmm. Anyway, speaking of the good professor, episode 13 brought, uh, brought the show's first guest in the form of the Bronze Age expert herself, daughter of Professor Allen, and half of the relatively geeky podcasting empire. That's right, I said empire. Miss Emily. And Chris Franklin weighed in with the following about that episode. He said, Michael and Emily, great episode. You guys should team up again. You had a great back and forth going there. When I was very young, I got a copy of this issue at a flea market. It blew my young mind. As the years progressed, I didn't understand how the Super Sons fit into continuity. It was years before I realized these stories, and much of Haney's output, was notorious for blatantly ignoring every other story told before it. I have the trade paperback now, and I really enjoyed the wacky stories, despite some of the silliness that would make most Silver Age writers cringe. Haney was the last of the old guard to work at DC, and I think one reason he was eventually pulled off the mainstream titles and sent over to The Unknown Soldier was because he didn't want to let go of his more out there concepts and ideas 
But his stories never fail to entertain, and their zany nature makes them stand out when many of his peers' work seems very homogenized and alike. And Chris, I'm going to definitely agree with you there. Um, I, I feel bad because outside of the Super Sons story, the Haney stories that have come up on uh, the show so far have been ones that I've not been especially kind to. Uh, there was the the episode with or the uh, <laughs> the episode the issue with Dead Man. There was last episode where Sean Engel and I looked at the uh, Let No Man Write My Epitaph story. But even though these stories weren't necessarily my favorite, like you said, you know th- they didn't fail to entertain, and I actually felt bad uh, being so hard on both of those. Because I still felt like I was entertained after reading them. Are you uh, not entertained? So, yeah, Are you, not you know, he. he I, and, I, and I like that you called him one of the last of the old guard, um, because he he definitely was around DC a very long time, and uh, I don't think he gets the recognition that he really deserves, um, especially when it comes to Superman and Batman, uh, because he wrote more Superman and more or, well more issues of World's Finest than anybody else. Uh, but Chris continues, The O'Neill wrap-up to the Super Sun series is just awful. It's obvious he was basically throwing up a finger to Haney's stories, and that's just not cool. Not sure if that was an editorial edict or not, but it's probably the most disappointing O'Neill tale I've ever read, and I'm a huge fan like Emily. The Sun's rather glib rejection of their reality and the acceptance of their non-existence is more laughable than anything Haney ever cooked up. Even the trade paperback calls it a buzzkill. Again, great show, and I look forward to the sequel on Emily's show and more World's Finest Action here. Chris. And you know, now that you bring it up, we, we didn't really talk too much about the uh, uh, final Super Sun story by, Dennis, or by Denny O'Neill, and that was very intentional because I hope to do it down the road some, at some point after I've done more of Haney's Super Sun stories. Uh, but you bring up a good point about maybe it being an editorial edict. I don't know either, and I've never read any interviews with Denny O'Neill when he talks about it. Um, if anybody out there has, drop me a link to the email or to the interview, or just let me know what it says because I would really love to know if that was something that that Denny O'Neill just decided to do and the editors went with it, or if, like you said, it was an editorial edict. All this time, I've been directing my hate towards Denny O'Neill, but maybe it was just something he was paid to do. I don't know. But anyway, next up is a pair of emails from Shane Anderson, who I think discovered the show after there were already several episodes on the feed, which is very cool. Um, it, it's good to know that word of the show is spreading and that more people are finding it, even though it's been going for, you know, about, about four months at this point. Now, but Shane's first email reads, Hi, I'm enjoying the podcast. I always thought that the first meeting of Batman and Superman which really wasn't the first meeting, relies way too much on coincidence. Hey, we're in the same cabin. Hey, let's change in the, in the dark while the other guy is in the room. Hey, look who you are. The story itself is incorrect. Superman and Batman met in a single-panel cameo in an all-star issue, and then both appear together in a later issue and each get a chapter with a solo adventure. So this first meeting was really nothing of the kind, though it's the first time they learned each other's secret identities. Great show. I love the commentary. And then Shane sent a follow-up a couple days later where he wrote, Hey, just to be a bit more detailed, now that I've had time to look it up again, 
The single panel first meeting of Batman and Superman has them standing with Jay Garrick presenting some charity money to Johnny Thunder, and it's from All-Star Comics number 7 in 1941. The full issue where they meet, and the only Golden Age JSA story where both Superman and Batman participate in a case, is from All-Star Comics number 36, August 1947. It's a good story, too. In fact, there are a few panels that feature Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in the same frame, and this might be the first time that all three characters meet. I'm not sure of that, and I don't and I don't even know that they interact much during the story, but it's still fun to see these early joint appearances by the characters. And Shane, you are correct. Uh, that is the first time Superman and Wonder Woman appeared in the same story. Um, about three years prior to that, there was a Wonder Woman story that referenced Superman. Uh, Diana goes to a costume party dressed as Wonder Woman, naturally, and there are other people dressed as Superman, Batman, The Flash, etc. But for the characters proper, All-Star Comics 36 was the first time that Superman and Wonder Woman appeared in the same book, or on a cover for that matter. I'm not completely sure about Batman and Wonder Woman, but I would say uh, that it was the first time that those two appeared together as well. And I might have to take an episode to look at those early All-Star Comics issues, uh, you know, just for complete coverage. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I might do that this fall. I'll think about it. Uh, but thanks for the email, and I hope you are enjoying later episodes as well. Next up is a comment from, again, from Chris Franklin on the April Fool's episode. And Chris writes, nice one. My kids have enjoyed the, many of the Johnny DC titles, including Tiny Titans. My six-year-old daughter is a huge Scooby-Doo fan, and we've been digging Scooby-Doo team up. I'd love to see one of these adapted into the many Scooby direct-to-DVD movies. As a big Johnny Cash fan, I salute your musical choices, Chris. And I also have been enjoying Scooby-Doo team up. I think I mentioned that in the April Fool's episode, in fact. Um, I got a big kick out of, I don't remember which issue it was, but one of them, they uh, brought in many of the detective characters from DC history, including Slam Bradley, which is another uh, kind of a pet character of mine that I really enjoy, um, partially because he's a namesake, but also because he was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who created some other character, if I could just think of his name, Henri Duval. That's what it was. No, of course, they created Superman. Um, but also, Slam Bradley stories are just really awesome, despite the occasional racism. Uh, but, uh, and, and you know, it's weird that you mentioned Johnny Cash, because this is the second time I've included a Johnny Cash song in one of my comic book-related podcasts. And both times, I've gotten comments or emails from people specifically saying that they salute the use of Johnny Cash in the podcast. So, there you go. Chris also left a note on episode 14, which was a story that I was pretty harsh on. Um, I'm just going to read Chris's email here, and and then I will uh, have a few comments afterwards. But he wrote, Wow, I didn't expect the harshness here. Thanks to its multiple reprints, I've always had a soft spot for this one. I first encountered it in that DC Digest you mentioned, and then in World's Finest Comics number 302 at full size. That had to be a scheduling snafu cover-up, as DC didn't run reprints in their regular titles at the time. You'd think they would have an inventory story ready to go. 
I think the story is typical Silver Age tomfoolery, but there is some clue that there is more to the aliens than meets the eye. Why introduce an actor at the beginning of the story, only to basically forget him later? I think that was Bates telegraphing the twist somewhat. It's certainly not clear, but there is something there. Endangering Supergirl and Batgirl, and gassing Robin and Jimmy, is just another example of the dickery these two would go to to move the plot along. Again, nothing new. Maybe it's the combination of the more modern artists and Adams combined with the old Silver Age tropes is throwing you off, or throwing this one off for you. If Kurt Swan or Dick Sprang had drawn it, maybe the Silver Age silliness wouldn't have stood out in such stark contrast to Adams' hyper-realistic art. Just a thought. Oh, and don't forget Bates was only about 16 or so at the time this was published. I will agree the cover is very weak. Ed Hannigan and Klaus Janssen's cover for the World's Finest Comics number 302 reprint is much more powerful, with him channeling Adams as best he could. We'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. Still enjoyed the show, as always. Chris. And Chris, thank you very much for this comment. Uh, looking back, I, I think you might be onto something that the art that the art might be throwing me off. Um, nothing against Adams, as I said in the episode. I really, really, really uh, dug the art in the issue, but it is a very Silver Agey story. And maybe if you know Kurt Schaffenberger or Kurt Swan or Dick Sprang, as you mentioned had done the art, maybe I wouldn't have been expecting uh, a more grounded and, and quote-unquote realistic uh, story with, without the Silver Age goofiness. Uh, you also bring up a good point about in the introduction of uh, the actor, Ronald Jason. I didn't even think about that when I was doing the episode or reading the story. So that's, you know, looking at things uh, impartially, I, I guess, uh, I guess that is a very good point. So, so thank you for bringing that up. And you are absolutely right about the cover to the World's Finest Comics number 302 reprint. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen that cover, it's, it's taken from the scene where Batman has put on the kryptonite gloves and is punching Superman, and it's just a beautiful cover. Uh, I, I have nothing bad to say about that cover, and I wish I would have talked about that in the... Uh, the episode because it's you know it's doubtful that we'll be talking about issue 302 here since it was just a reprint but um, if you have a chance look it up on head on over to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics and look up issue 302 and you can just see how beautiful the cover is and it, it really does uh, stand out as, as one of the better covers to World's Finest Comics from that era and the next email comes from Matthew Cody with the subject line the Superman-Batman split. Sounds tasty. Uh, and he wrote, Hi, Michael. I have been enjoying your show and wrote you about and wrote you the five-star iTunes review from Piper Ruth. And thank you, Matthew. I'll, I'll be getting to that just a in just a minute. In a previous episode, you wondered who would be a good fit for the cowl if Batman appeared in the Adventures of Superman television show. I think the choice is obvious. Who else but the re renowned actor Ronald Jason? My alternate choice would be Ben Affleck's paternal grandfather, so we could coin the term Batfleck in the 50s. I will keep myself busy listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman backlog in between episodes of Superman and Batman. These are fantastic shows. I'll talk to you later. Goodbye, Matthew Cody. And thank you very much for the email and for the iTunes review, Matthew. 
And we've got one more comment that I'm going to read for this episode, and that comes from Earth2Chris, Chris Franklin again. And this was left in reply to the Happy Birthday Batman special that I put together. And Chris wrote, Michael, great Batman tribute episode. Fantastic idea and very well executed. I'm a big fan of the first two stories, and the Barr Davis run is highly underrated amongst Batman runs. To me, this was the final chapter of it, as year two kind of went astray a bit, mostly due to McFarlane coming on board. Mr. Panarese, I liked his stuff at the time, but the shortcomings... Oh, excuse me. Like Mr. Panarese, I liked his stuff at the time, but the shortcomings jump out like crazy now, especially compared to a master like Davis. Barr's take on Jason Todd, despite his post-crisis origin flashback, was clearly the earlier, more stable Jason, but it's just another example of the flux the DCU was in as creators scrambled to understand what to do post-crisis. I believe The Man Who Falls was reprinted in a special digest-sized trade paperback, inserted into early versions of the Batman Begins DVD. I have that version, and I recall his story being there. This story, along with the first arc in Legends of the Dark Knight, which this story flashes back to with the mask totem angle, established that Bruce studied under different masters, after Miller had hinted on it with Bruce's long-term absence from Gotham in Batman Year One. The stories in that Secret Origins trade paperback were all post-crisis, even though later stories negated some or all aspects of them. I I must be honest and admit that I don't care for 90% of Morrison's Batman run. I think he did a lot to drive me away from the character's monthly adventures. I did enjoy the Club of Heroes storyline, but I felt his obsession with Robin Dies at Dawn was a bit much and way too self-indulgent, even though I knew the story well. I can't imagine how someone who didn't know the story felt about it. Obviously, I'm in the minority when it comes to my opinion on what he did with Batman, but I stand by it. I still enjoyed the discussion you and Mr. Grant had about it. Again, great show, and I'll have to look into those Legends of the Batman episodes. Chris. And yes, Chris, you, you should definitely hunt down Legends of the Batman, which Michael Kaiser and I did. Uh, the episodes are still online at BatmanLegends.com, and I'm pretty sure you can still find them on iTunes, unless something has gone wrong with the feed. Uh, but that was a show that we did for 28 episodes, or 24 28 and we we both had a lot of fun uh you know it was just real life that caused us to uh have to step away from it uh but i really do appreciate the comments thank you i'm glad you enjoyed the batman the happy birthday batman episode Uh, that was something that i had planned really almost since before the uh the show here uh, that i wanted to do something uh, to say happy birthday, Batman. I, I wanted to do something to say happy birthday, Superman, last year, but uh, with no podcast to do it with, and and, and there were time issues. And uh, anyway, I'm really glad you enjoyed the the, the Batman episode. It was a labor of love, and I'm really proud with how it all came together. So it's good to know that that people out there enjoyed it, and and in a slight break from the normal Superman and Batman stories. Um, like you, I really did enjoy the. Uh, the uh, the first issue we looked at, Detective Comics number five seventy four, I believe it was, and and it made me want to check out more of the uh, Mike W. Barr Alan Davis run because that issue was simply phenomenal. So that's it for the email and website comments. 
thank you to everyone who wrote in. Uh, be sure to continue to write in or, or leave comments on the website. I will be doing these uh, feedback episodes every you know every couple months or so. It, it really depends on how much feedback I get. Uh, but that's it for the for those. Now I'm going to shift over to iTunes, where the show has gotten uh, several reviews so far, and uh, most of them positive. And if iTunes will load, and I probably should have done this before I started recording, but once again, we can just vamp for time. Thankfully, not as long this time because it's loaded. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Um, we're going to read these. I think we're going to read these if it will let me sort that way. Again, I'm vamping for time. Yes, we are going to read these in the order they came in. So far, I have received... 10 ratings on iTunes, and all of them are 5 stars, except for one, which is a 3 star. So, that's not bad. Uh, But the first iTunes review comes from Stephen Traff, and he wrote, You mean well, and I can tell that you are passionate about this podcast and trying to learn and improve. Having said that, this entire show has no real plot or direction. Yes, we have a topic, but there need to be a directed and specific sections and discussions about the topic. Random information and chronological comic events don't make for very interesting listening. You do care about what you're talking about, though, and I will definitely check back on this one. And thank you, Stephen. I, I, you know, this isn't... uh, Obviously not not as positive as other feedback as I've gotten, but I do feel like this was a, a constructive criticism. You know, it just wasn't someone telling me that I sucked. So uh, thank you, Stephen, for the feedback, and I, I hope you've checked back to later episodes and found something there to enjoy. Uh, but the next feedback comes from Professor Allen, who wrote, A great show for fans of both The Man of Steel and The Caped Crusader. Michael has an easy-to-listen-to style, and these team-ups are in stories that need to be covered in podcasts. I'm a fan of random-style podcasts, and since these stories don't have a lot of continuity or or overarching storylines, jumping from time frame to time frame, from issue to issue, is a fun way to cover these. And thank you, Alan. And the next iTunes review comes from Rob Kelly, host of the Fire & Water podcast, purveyor of the AquamanShrine.net, and writer of Ace Kilroy, a webcomic that you can find at acekilroy.com. And he wrote, Does the world need another Superman podcast? The answer is probably not, but there's always room for one more when it's by Michael Bradley of the Thrilling Adventures of Superman show. Covering the intersections between the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight Detective in the pages of DC Comics, Bradley's show is breezy and fun, scholarly and encyclopedic. Encyclopedic. These episodes are the perfect length, just long enough to cover a particular book in detail, but not overstaying its welcome. A great show, and I hope it runs a long time. And thank you very much, Rob. I I really did appreciate your comments about the show length. I have probably more on this show than I ever have on on any of the shows I've done. I have tried to keep the shows tight and, like you say, not overstay my welcome, because I I think that uh, if you want to find one criticism with you know, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which is the only other solo podcast I've done, I did maybe at times tend to linger a bit longer than I needed to. But at, but at the same time, you know, that show had a different objective than this one. You know, that was to really dig into Superman's history, and and this is more just to, just to have fun with the stories. So 
But anyway, thank you, Rob, for the stories or for the <laughs> for the feedback. Uh, next up is a review from Robert T. Ward, who wrote, "Michael Bradley returns to podcasting after far after a far too long wait with his new podcast focusing on random issues of world's finest." While I may never have been a fan of superhero team-ups, I can't help but fall in love with the Superman and Batman podcast. Michael's sense of humor and passion for both of these characters, as we can hear on past episodes of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman and Legends of the Batman, is as strong as ever and makes this particular show oh, excuse me, and makes this particular show as wonderful a listen as anything he has ever put out. I would highly recommend this podcast if you are in the market for a new one, as Michael Bradley truly shines as one of the best podcasters out there. And wow, I'm not sure I'd agree with that last statement, but thank you very much, Robert. Uh, anyway, his his review continues. Superman, Batman, why decide when you can listen to a podcast that features both that features both with a funny and engaging host as Michael Bradley? There isn't, so listen today. And thank you very much, Robert, for that glowing review. Uh, next up is a is a review from I believe it's pronounced Gretjopper, and if you're listening, if you're still listening, and uh, this is you, then I apologize for probably butchering the pronunci- pronunciation of your handle. Uh, but the review reads: As I listen to most of the Superman podcasts, this one is a nice break from the others. I really enjoy the podcast. I didn't start reading comics till the New 52 launched, so all the older stuff is new to me and very educational. Thanks, Mike. Episode 3 was great because I think that you really brought it to new life. I could see the pictures without seeing them. Great job. And thank you. And next up is a review from Piper Ruth, a.k.a. Matthew Cody, who we just got an email from. And he wrote, This podcast is great. Love the host who definitely knows his stuff does his research before recording, and edits a fantastic show. The Mightiest Team deserve no less. Enjoy the randomness of which issue... Enjoy the randomness of which issue of World's Finest will be featured, and I hope we get at least 324 episodes. Oh, that's a lot of episodes, but I will do my best. And next comes from B.S. Zafinski, who wrote his review... Or his or her, I'm not sure which... We'll just say there, wrote their review. I love, love, love this show. The second I heard the promo for this show on the Fire and Water podcast, I dropped everything and downloaded it. The Batman and Superman Adventures theme hooked me, and I never looked back. Between Michael's thorough, in-depth commentary about what takes place in the issue and his witty comments about the Silver Age wackiness that is just totally inevitable, this show is great fun. Can't wait for more. And thank you very much. And last but certainly not least is a review from Joe Anthrax, who we know better as Sean Engel. And his review reads, Greatest podcast about the greatest super team. Michael Bradley has done it again. This time, by combining two comic heroes he has covered in separate podcasts with one auditory archive of awesomeness. No team-up between the Man of Steel and the Caped Crusader is out of reach in this incredibly humorous and entertaining show goes to the top of my listening order every time a new episode is posted. And thank you very much, Sean, for those wonderful reviews. And thank you to everybody who left iTunes reviews or email feedback or left a comment at the website or or just mentioned something in passing. I It, it means a lot to get all of this feedback and to hear from listeners that, that enjoy the show. And, you know, not, I mean, not only is it good to know that people are listening, 
but I love just hearing from people and, and being able to have that communication and, and getting your thoughts on the stories that I read. So just thank you to everybody, and I I, I really can't I, – I wish I wish there was a stronger word than thank you because I would be using it right now. But instead, I'm just going to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so right now, I'm going to take another break, um, possibly plug in a promo, possibly plug in something else. Once again, you never know what you're going to get with the mailbag episodes. But then I'll be back for another announcement and probably to close out the show. As you just heard in the past hour, I have received a lot of great feedback for the first 14 episodes, or 16 if you include the two specials. But because I'm a greedy podcaster, I want more, more, more. So to that end, as both a way of saying thank you to those who write in and encouraging more and better feedback, in the grand tradition of Marvel's No Prize, the Baldy Award from the Superman comics of the 1990s, and most importantly, the Yellow Dot Award of the Fire and Water Podcast. I am instituting the Haney Award. Named after the one and only Bob Haney, who wrote more Superman and Batman team-up stories than anyone, the Haney Award will be given to the listener who goes above and beyond in their efforts towards feedback for the show. Someone who really raises the bar as a listener, or whose efforts are efforts or actions are, are, are truly inspired, or in some other way worthy of extra recognition. Now, as much as I'm a greedy podcaster, I'm also a cheap one, so there's no actual physical prize in connection with the Haney Award. However, you do get the satisfaction of knowing that you won, your name will be enshrined alongside other winners on a list at the site, and best of all, you get the right to brag to all your friends about winning such an esteemed prize. And really, isn't that better? So the winner of the first ever Haney Award is... Earth to Chris, a.k.a. Chris Franklin. Chris was my most frequent commenter about episodes of the show, posting feedback on the website about a majority of the episodes so far, and it was really quality feedback, too, with Chris often sharing his own thoughts or memories of the issue, which I really do appreciate and like to hear. So congratulations, Chris, the first ever winner of the prestigious Haney Award. Don't let it go to your head. 
Uh, but folks, I want to thank everyone once again who wrote in, left feedback at the website or an iTunes review, or just mentioned that you've enjoyed the show. Uh, w- without you folks, you know, without listeners, a podcast is just kilobytes on a server. And I'm happy to have such a fine group of listeners and really enjoy getting feedback. Um, Not only does it help me know that people are actually listening, but it helps you be a part of the show too, which is really, really awesome. So even though we're closing up the mailbag for now, I want to encourage you to keep writing in. The contact info is in the end tag. Um, I'll be doing another feedback episode in a few months, uh, maybe sooner, and I hope to be able to read your email and comments in that. So get writing. And get creative, because you never know. That next Haney Award could be yours. But that's it for now. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. Again, congratulations to Chris on winning the Haney Award, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Music heard in this episode included the Blanks version of John Williams' Superman theme, Danny Elfman's theme to Batman as performed by Pomplamoose, and the closing song. Please, Mr. Postman, the title track from the Marvelettes' 1961 album. The Blanks and Pomplamoose songs are not available for purchase. However, Please, Mr. Postman is available on a variety of albums. And as always, the best way to go about buying the song is by visiting 2TrueFreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site, and you'll be redirected to Amazon.com. Buy an MP3 or physical copy of the song, and Two True Freaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. You get tunes, they get money, and best of all, it won't cost you anything extra, but does help support one of the greatest groups of podcasts out there.
Goodbye.